Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and information about improving the health and well being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory, or even the quality of an older person's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about a real mainstay of modern medicine, which is blood tests. These are sometimes referred to as checking labs or doing blood work or even checking blood. And most older adults have been through this. So for instance, it's pretty much impossible to be hospitalized without having blood work done, and it's part of most emergency room care. Also, blood test is really commonly done as part of a scheduled exam in the outpatient setting to follow up on chronic conditions. Last but not least, blood testing is usually, although not always, very helpful when it comes to evaluating many common complaints that affect older people. So for instance, if an older person is feeling really tired and experiencing low energy, then it would almost certainly be reasonable for us to consider checking for anemia, which means low red blood cell count, or thyroid problems. Or if an older person becomes confused, more confused than usual, and that, as you might remember, is called delirium, that can be the sign of a variety of illnesses. And so often we would consider checking blood work to check on an older person's electrolytes. And I'll explain more about what that means in a bit. We might be looking for causes of infection. And blood tests are really the one of the main ways that we look for information that might indicate whether somebody is having a health problem affecting their kidneys, their liver, and much more. So I actually really can't imagine being a medical doctor in a time when we didn't have blood work. I know that used to be quite common because it is really so, so useful. Now, like much of medical care, blood testing is probably overused. But as I was saying, it is often appropriate and an important way to evaluate an older person's healthcare concerns. So as a geriatrician, I do routinely order or recommend blood tests for older adults. Now, Historically, laboratory results were reviewed by doctors, and they were only minimally discussed with patients and families. But today, it's becoming more common for patients to ask questions about their results, which I think is a wonderful development in the culture of healthcare. And also, it's become fairly common for people to be able to access their results directly through patient portals. And in fact, one of my top recommendations to older adults and family caregivers who just want to get better at participating in their healthcare and at optimizing it, and I do think that your active participation is a really crucial element in optimizing it, meaning that you're more likely to get the things that are likely to help you. One of my top recommendations is for people to always request a copy of your laboratory results and then keep that copy in your own personal health record. And I talked about personal health records in episode seven, one of the early ones. So if you haven't listened to that, it may be relevant. 
And the reason why I recommend blood tests be kept, those results be kept in your personal health record is because again, it's so important and useful in addressing a variety of health questions about an older person. And so when you keep that information yourself, it means that it's easier to do your own research or homework about your health if you decide to do that for some reason. And it's also much easier to bring it to another health provider, either when there's an emergency or if you're getting a second opinion or if you're just moving and switching to a new healthcare provider. So blood tests are really useful, really important. And in this episode, I want to help you understand the basics. And so what I'm going to do in this episode is I'm going to focus on blood tests that are very commonly used in primary medical care for older adults. It's not feasible for me to cover all blood tests in a single episode. And in fact, I have a related article that I wrote a while back on better health while aging, and that I'll post in the show notes. And that one covers 10 common types of blood tests. But in this episode, I'm just going to cover four, four panels. They are, I think, the most commonly ordered blood tests for older adults. So I'm going to start by by covering those four panels and what's included and the most common reasons that we order them. And then after that, I'll share with you four key practical suggestions that I have for you that I recommend that older adults and family caregivers keep in mind when it comes to blood tests being ordered in the outpatient setting. So let me now cover these four common panels that we often order for older adults. Number one is the complete blood count, abbreviated CBC. So what does it measure? A CBC is a collection of tests related to the cells in your blood, and it usually includes the following results. So first of all, it'll include a white blood cell count, which is commonly abbreviated WBC. So this means the number of white blood cells per microliter of blood. It'll include a red blood cell count, so the number of red blood cells per microliter of blood. It'll include a hemoglobin result, which means how many grams of hemoglobin are in each deciliter of blood. And hemoglobin is the oxygen-carrying protein in red blood cells. The CBC also will always report the hematocrit. So this means the fraction of blood that is made up of red blood cells. It also includes something called the mean corpuscular volume, abbreviated MCV. So this means the average size of the red blood cells. And then it'll include the platelet count, which means how many platelets you have per microliter of blood. And platelets are cells, smaller cells that are involved in the clotting of your blood. So a CBC can also be ordered sometimes with what's called a quote-unquote differential So this means that the health provider is requesting some additional testing of the white blood cells so that they get classified into their subtypes. So white blood cells are the cells in your blood that are basically related to your immune system and managing infection and inflammation. So there are several different subtypes, which I'm not going to go into right now, but in the related article, I have links to some articles that will give you the breakdown of those different types of white blood cells. So 
Why do we in healthcare order CBCs? There are a couple common reasons why we would order them. So one would be if we are concerned about the possibility of anemia. So either the person has symptoms that are concerning for anemia, so low red blood cell count, like fatigue or a higher heart rate, or if the person has previously been diagnosed with anemia, we may want to repeat the blood count to check and make sure that it has stabilized or improved. So anemia can be diagnosed if the red blood cell count, the hemoglobin level, and or the hematocrit are lower than normal. Usually those three all go together. And if you want to learn more about anemia, I have a related article and I also covered it in episode 23. Another thing we look for when we order the CBC is the white blood cell count because it usually goes up if a person is fighting an infection. Now, there are some medications, notably corticosteroids, that can also cause an increase in the white blood cell count. So we have to be mindful of that. Now, if several types of blood cells, different types, such as the red blood cells, the white blood cells, and the platelets, if they're all low, this can be the sign of a problem with the bone marrow because your blood cells are all created in the body in your bone marrow, and your bone marrow is constantly working to create new ones and bring them out to the blood. And then occasionally, an older person's platelet count may be lower than normal or sometimes higher than normal. This can be related to a a variety of different conditions, but that's another thing that we sometimes look for, and this does usually require further evaluation. So that is the CBC. So basically often checked either to make sure a person isn't bleeding or having some form of anemia or being checked because of concerns related to infection and occasionally checked because we want to check on that platelet count. Next panel that is very commonly ordered. Number two is the basic metabolic panel. It's also sometimes called a basic electrolyte panel. So what is this measure? So it is possible for a health provider to request a measurement of a single electrolyte. So electrolytes are molecules in your blood, sodium, potassium, chloride, among them that that do affect your blood chemistry and affect the way your body's cells are able to function. So, and in a moment, I'll tell you a little bit more about, you know, common things that can affect them. So it is possible to request a measurement of a single electrolyte in the blood. That said, it's far more common to order electrolytes as part of a panel, sometimes a panel of four, but what's most common is a panel of seven or eight And so this panel is often referred to as a Chem 7 or a Chem 8. And the things it usually includes are, um, again, sodium, potassium, chloride, and then also carbon dioxide, which is also sometimes called bicarbonate, because this is the chemical form of carbon dioxide, which is more common in the bloodstream. We won't go into chemistry right now, but basically it's, it's, it's more common for these to be in that form. The other things that are usually included in this panel are something called blood urea nitrogen and another compound called creatinine. Uh, And those two, blood urea nitrogen and creatinine, are related to kidney function. And then there is glucose. The eighth item, which is often included, 
would be calcium, another very important electrolyte that is related to the function of cells and the heart. So why do we order this basic metabolic panel? The main reason is that the, the blood's level of electrolytes, there's a normal range that, that is compatible with optimal physiologic function, but it is fairly common for either medications or illness to nudge things either too high or too low. And if they get too far, too high or too low, the person can have symptoms or even the risk of significant dysfunction. So for instance, if your potassium gets very, very high, that can actually cause your muscle cells in your heart to go haywire and you can have an arrest. And that is actually one of the methods of execution, lethal injection, is to provide such a high dose of potassium that the heart arrests. So most of the time, we are not at that level of potassium, but we do check electrolytes. First of all, to make sure that a medication hasn't caused the sodium or potassium especially to go too high or too low. Or if the person is having concerning symptoms, people can get weak or tired or confused or get cramps when their electrolytes, especially potassium, calcium, And magnesium is not usually included in the basic panel, but that is another electrolyte that we sometimes check. Uh, When those get out of whack, people can get symptoms. So so we do check those electrolytes. And common medications that affect electrolytes are uh, especially blood pressure medications. And that's because your electrolytes are largely managed by your kidneys. And a lot, not all, but many blood pressure medications do affect your kidneys. And so certain blood pressure medications, including diuretics, can affect electrolytes. And there are others that have been associated with some less commonly changes in electrolytes, including certain antidepressants. So that's why we check electrolytes. Now, what about carbon dioxide in that panel? That's actually a reflection of the acidity of the blood. Uh, Your blood is supposed to be kept at a certain pH, but that level of acidity can be affected by uh, one, your kidneys. When your kidneys work well, they help you release acid. And if they're not functioning very well, you might hold on to more of it than you should. And then also your lungs help regulate the acidity level in your blood. And so when people are having lung problems, such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, that can also affect the level of carbon dioxide in the blood. So next I'll say a few more words about creatinine and blood urea nitrogen, sometimes abbreviated BUN. So those two tests are most commonly used to monitor kidney function. So both of those measurements can go up if your kidney function is temporarily impaired, such as due to dehydration or a medication side effect, or uh, it's actually quite common for people as they get older to develop chronic impairments in kidney function. And so there also their creatinine level might be higher than normal or their BUN be higher than normal. If it's a chronic condition, we still, you know, want to be mindful of it because if nothing else, many medications should be dosed differently if a person has decreased kidney function. Now there's another measurement that's often reported as part of the result of this basic electrolyte panel that is related to kidney function, which is called the estimated glomerular filtration rate. So the glomeruli, not to get too uh, medically nerdy, but these are these itty bitty units in your kidneys that actually filter your blood. 
And so the estimated glomerular filtration rate is the estimated rate at which your kidneys and all their, their you know, collection of glomeruli are able to filter your blood. So this is considered a better measure of kidney function than just looking at creatinine. And the labs use certain algorithm and calculation to create an estimate of that filtration rate based on the other results of the electrolyte panel. So for that, higher is better. <laughs> so the convention is that uh, sort of normal kidneys can filter um, something like 100 to 125 I forget what the unit is, milliliters per, per something. And, uh, and as kidney function declines, that, that number goes down. And I, I think once it gets down around 60, that's considered impairment. That might change the dosing of medications. So if you look at your results, you might see that. And then last thing that I mentioned as part of this panel, glucose. So glucose, very important. Glucose is another word for sugar. And so the glucose measurement in this panel uh, represents the amount of sugar in the blood at the moment that the test was drawn. Now, glucose levels in your blood do fluctuate throughout the day, in part as a function of when you ate and how your body is managing its blood sugar, which is also often related to one's metabolism and one's level of insulin and some other hormones. So if glucose levels are higher than normal, this could be due to diabetes, which may or may not be diagnosed. Or if the glucose levels are on the low side, this is called hypoglycemia. The most common cause is diabetes medications. And then in certain less common health conditions, people may just have um, hypoglycemia. So for more details on those tests or any of them, again, you know, I have links uh, within the article that can explain each test in more detail. So next panel that I wanted to tell you about is the comprehensive metabolic panel. This panel actually includes the seven or eight items that I just described in the basic metabolic panel, but then it usually includes an additional seven items. And so for this reason, it's sometimes referred to as a chem 14 panel. So beyond the seven tests included in the basic panel, the comprehensive panel also adds tests related to liver function and a few other things. So specifically, the tests that will be included, calcium, if it wasn't included in the previous panel, it's definitely part of the comprehensive metabolic panel, total protein levels, albumin, which is a specific kind of protein in the blood that's especially important, bilirubin, which is created partly in the gallbladder and can is also related to the breakdown of red blood cells. Another compound called alkaline phosphatase, which can also be related to the liver and gallbladder, but can also be related to bone metabolism. And then there is something called AST, aspartate aminotransferase, and ALT, alanine aminotransferase. And those are liver enzymes. Those are enzymes in the actual cells of the liver. So why do we order a comprehensive metabolic panel? Sometimes we're interested in calcium levels. So calcium is regulated by the kidneys and by many hormones. Now, blood calcium levels are usually not a good way to determine whether a person is having adequate uh, intake of calcium, and it's not a good way to measure their total calcium stores in the body. So usually if we're looking at a blood calcium level, 
It's to make sure it's not too high or too low because that can cause symptoms. Calcium levels that are too high or too low can also be caused by certain types of medication. And every now and then people actually have a little uh, tumor in the parathyroid that is causing the calcium level to get too high. So next, albumin. Albumin is uh, one of the key proteins in the bloodstream, and it's synthesized by the liver. So we look at albumin levels. First of all, they can they correlate somewhat to nutritional status and to being malnourished. So low albumin levels can be caused by being malnourished, but they can also be caused by liver disease if your liver has no longer become able to synthesize the proteins that it's responsible for creating. In other cases, albumin levels can be low because, you know, it's not that there's a problem in creating the albumin in terms of nutrition or the liver doing its work, but there can be a problem with the blood vessels actually letting the albumin leak out into the rest of the body. And that can cause swelling sometimes in the legs, sometimes in the belly. That's a little bit less common, but, you know, that's another thing that, uh, that we might be, be considering. Now, those liver enzymes, AST and ALT, again, those are contained in liver cells. So when something is harming the actual liver cells, those enzyme levels tend to go up. Uh, so one not uncommon cause of it going up would be alcohol abuse. If you drink really a lot, that can affect your liver and can cause your liver enzymes to go up. And then other forms of liver disease can also cause those liver enzymes to go up. And then medications, so Tylenol, acetaminophen. Famously, if you take it in normal recommended doses, and I think I talked about what those doses are in the podcast episode on over-the-counter painkillers, which was episode 31. So when you take recommended doses, acetaminophen is quite safe for, for most people, unless they have... Uh, something else affecting their liver. But when people take too much acetaminophen, either accidentally or as part of an overdose, it does affect the liver enzymes and can cause an increase in those liver enzymes. So other tests included in the comprehensive panel, bilirubin is produced by the liver. It usually drains down the bile ducts and into the small intestines, and then some of it is related to the breakdown of red blood cells. So an increase in bilirubin can be caused by gallstones or something else blocking those bile ducts. So if a person has been having pain in their upper belly on the right side, because your liver is in the upper right part of your belly, and we're wondering whether it might be gallstones or something affecting the liver, you know, we would be getting that comprehensive metabolic panel so that we could see the liver enzymes and also the bilirubin. And then also related to the bile ducts, alkaline phosphatase found throughout the body, but especially in the bile ducts and in bone. So higher levels are often caused, could be caused, I should say, by a blockage in the liver or by something affecting bone metabolism. So again, if you want more details on those tests, take a look at the related article. And now the last panel that I want to tell you about that is very commonly ordered for older adults is the lipid panel, also known as the cholesterol panel. So lipid is one of those fancy medical words related to, uh, you know, kind of fats in a way. So what does this panel measure? This panel measures the different types of cholesterol and related fats in the bloodstream. So the panel usually includes a measurement of total cholesterol, a measurement of high-density lipoprotein cholesterol, that's called HDL, and that's sometimes known as the quote-unquote good cholesterol because higher levels are associated with better uh, blood vessel health and better outcomes. 
Then there's the uh, low-density lipoprotein cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, sometimes known as the bad cholesterol. And then there is triglycerides. Now, what is interesting is that LDL results, they're very historically have been important because they've been used as, as part of recommending treatment with cholesterol-lowering drugs, statins. Uh, what people sometimes don't realize is that your LDL results are usually not directly measured, but they're calculated based on the results of the other three tests. And people are often asked to fast before doing this test. And that's because triglycerides in particular can increase after eating. And uh, so if you take the test after you ate and your triglycerides levels were high, your LDL calculation can be a little bit off. That said, experts have actually concluded that in most cases, it's not necessary for people to fast because it doesn't end up making that big a difference to the test results. And the problem with ordering a fasting test is that it's inconvenient for people and they're less likely to do it or it takes them longer. So some experts feel that we should stop, you know, recommending these fasting lipid tests, but I think it's still quite common for people to be told to fast. So why do we order the lipid panel? The main reason is to evaluate cardiovascular risk in older adults. So it's as part of either making an assessment in terms of primary prevention of cardiovascular disease. So assessing people to figure out whether they are at particularly high risk and whether taking certain types of medications might be warranted. Or if a person has already had a heart attack, a stroke, or some kind of significant cardiovascular event, then we would be interested in what is called secondary prevention. So secondary prevention means that the problem thing has already happened and we're trying to keep it from happening again because one of the strongest risk factors for having a cardiovascular event is having had a previous one. And so then the sort of likelihood that people will benefit from medications such as taking a daily baby aspirin, which is no longer recommended for general prevention, but still is usually recommended for people who have already had a cardiovascular event. So the lipid panel is, is basically used as part of this evaluation of cardiovascular risk. And then in particular, higher than normal, especially LDL cholesterol levels are sometimes treated with uh, medication such as statins, but you know, they can also be reduced by dietary changes. And in the related article, I have a link to a guide to lowering cholesterol with lifestyle changes from the NIH, if that's something that you're interested in. So those are the four most common panels that are ordered. If you're an older person, you've probably had them ordered in the past and you're likely to have them ordered again. So let me now share with you my suggestions to help you benefit from blood tests and results. And I have four suggestions for you. So number one, when a test is ordered, be sure you understand why it is being ordered. So uh, since I have posted on my site the articles that I have on blood tests and also the one on anemia, people are often posting questions for me in the comments you know, of what's going on with my blood test result, my anemia, or this. And, and often my response to them is, well, you need to ask the doctor to clarify why did they get the test? What were they looking for, right? So I, I want to really emphasize that. In today's day and age, you know, unless it's an emergency in the emergency room, 
ask why when they suggest getting a test because this is only going to help you better understand your health. So is this test being ordered because it's meant to help evaluate a symptom? Or is it monitoring a chronic condition or monitoring a past problem, like a level of electrolyte or blood cell count that was too high or too low, and they're making sure that it's been you know, corrected? Is it to see whether a treatment is working? Find out why. So in general, blood tests should only be ordered for a reason. So it is not a good idea to just order tests when people are feeling completely fine and have no symptoms just to check. That is frowned upon because the research generally shows that when you don't already have a reason, so either you find nothing on the test, the tests are normal and they were just a waste of everybody's time and collectively it costs the system money for people to be getting a lot of blood tests that were not necessary. But the other thing that will happen is that something will come back and it will be a little bit abnormal and we won't be sure why and then we have to spend time trying to figure it out, especially as people get older. I mean, if we peek inside your blood and your body, there's all kinds of stuff that is slightly abnormal. And studies have shown that it's not that when people are feeling fine, with the exception of those screening tests that have been proven to make a difference that allow us to catch things uh, before people have symptoms and make a difference, such as colon cancer screening, those kinds of tests of people who are feeling fine just do not end up benefiting people overall. So for the most part, tests should not be ordered you know, for screening with uh, a few exceptions, the approved screening tests. And I do have an article on screening tests. So if you want to know what those are, I will post them in the show notes. It's called 26 Recommended Preventive Health Services for Older Adults. So tip number one was make sure you understand why a given test is being ordered. And then tip number two, ask your doctor to review the results with you and explain what they mean for your health. So first of all, people sometimes assume that the doctor will speak up and offer to review the results. And I think that's often not the case. So, you know, let your health providers know that you would be interested in, in uh, reviewing the results with them. And then you especially want to discuss any result that is flagged by abnormal by the laboratory system. So I have found over the years that so many older adults have a chronic abnormality in their blood work, which, which often reflects a, a chronic condition. And they didn't know that they had it. And I still remember this gentleman who was a journalist, quite educated years ago, who was, had transferred to my clinic and become my primary care patient. And I looked over his records and he, he had chronic kidney dysfunction you know, that was uh, moderate and had been there for years, but he didn't know it. And I said something about his chronic kidney disease and his jaw sort of fell open. He said, what? I have what? And I said, well, you know, I, I see it here. It's in your blood work going back two years. It was, you know, they commented on it in the hospital and he had no idea. So <laughs> don't be that person, you know? Now, maybe you're wondering why the doctor wouldn't tell an older person about these abnormalities. I think if it's been going on for a while, the doctor may think the older person already knows about it, or perhaps the older, you know, perhaps the, the health provider mentioned it before, the older person didn't quite hear it. And I think it's also, you know, not uncommon for health providers to just not get around to mentioning a mild abnormality that is pretty common in older people, such as, you know, mild anemia and mild kidney dysfunction are the ones that particularly come to mind for me. Is it essential for you to know about that? Well, maybe not, but why not know more about your health? That is my feeling about it. Uh, okay, 
So now suggestion number three, especially if anything is abnormal, ask your doctor to explain how your results compare with your prior results. Laboratory reports do generally provide a normal reference range, but what's generally more useful is to see how a given result compares to your previous results. And so first of all, everybody has, everybody's an individual and has their own kind of normal. So that's why it's useful. But then the other thing is that so many, the context of a laboratory result is very, very important. So again, people have posted questions for me in my article on anemia that, you know, my result is this, it'll be mildly abnormal or something like that. What does it mean? A huge part of what it means depends on, well, has it been like that for a long time and you've otherwise been feeling fine or has it been going, you know, did it used to be quite high and it's going down, 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 down. So the context is just so important. And that sort of pattern of a result we can sometimes refer to as the trajectory. So whether it's holding stable, going up or going down. Now, you may have an abnormal result and the trajectory is stable or you don't have the past information. And if it's abnormal, you want to ask your health provider questions to better understand what might be the cause or what they're planning to, to do about it. And it can be reasonable to just repeat the test, see if it's still abnormal or give it a little time and then repeat it. I mean, those, those are often reasonable ways to proceed, but you know, you do want to ask questions about it, but certainly if things are getting worse and going in the wrong direction, and depending on the test, that might mean going up or going down, depends on the test. Generally, that means the issue is a little bit more pressing to sort out. And so you'll want to make sure that there is a plan to follow up and, you know, be monitoring for symptoms or, or otherwise check on it. And now for my last suggestion, suggestion number four, I already mentioned this earlier in the episode, it's request copies of your results and keep them in your own record system. So... As I hope it's clear, these blood test results are just so useful and relevant. If nothing else, being able to look at past results gives a health provider a, you know, a sort of baseline and comparison point and some of that context that we need to better interpret any current symptoms or current laboratory results. So I highly recommend you keep your own copies. People will often tell me, well, it's in the portal for my health provider. Well, what if you leave that health provider? You might, lose, you might lose access. What if you need to show them to somebody else? It's not that easy. So keep your own copies. It's just like you would keep your own copies of your important receipts or your tax documents. You don't just leave it for the stores to hang on to or the professional you hire to, to hang on to. Likewise, I recommend keeping your own copies of these important health results. I do have an article about setting up and maintaining a personal health record, so I'll post that in in the show notes. But again, I think you know the main value in having your own copies of results is that it's much easier to share them with new doctors. If you change health providers, move to a new city, or have to go to urgent care when you're traveling, and then also having that information yourself makes it easier for you to research your health conditions if you've realized that you want to better understand what's going on with your health and be better prepared to know what questions to ask of your health providers. So for instance, I have a, you know, someone in my extended family who had a routine cholesterol panel done. It is 
uh, often recommended as part of uh, you know preventive care, that assessment for cardiovascular risk to do it about every five years. And so this person, you know, wasn't taking any medications, was quite fit and good health, and the results came back uh, higher than normal. So we took a look at the previous results from three years ago, and we found that those results were in normal range. So that meant, you know, the cholesterol tests were kind of going in the, you know, quote unquote, wrong direction or riskier direction. And so this, you know, motivated this person to start reconsidering his diet and some, you know, lifestyle factors. Now, if we hadn't had access to the previous results, he could have asked the health provider, but it's much faster and more convenient to look in your own records. And also, what if he had switched health providers within the three years, then his current doctor wouldn't have those past results to compare to, to help him make the decision of whether he should motivate to change what he was eating or not. So that's an example of how having the copies of the previous records and also taking a look and thinking about the current results can be useful to you. So to summarize, my suggestions regarding blood tests are, one, make sure you understand why a given test is being ordered, to ask your doctor to review the results with you and explain what they mean for your health. Three, ask your health provider to explain how the results compare with the prior results, since that trajectory and context is often very important. And then four, always request copies of your blood work results and keep them in your own record system. So that's all I have for today. I hope this overview of these four very common panels of blood testing was useful to you. If you want to, again, more details about those specific tests, they are in the related article. And then also in the related article, I have information on six more blood tests that are often ordered for older adults, and you may find that interesting as well. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.